Hi, welcome back to The Canadian Farmer, a podcast for pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, pharmacy students, and healthcare professionals in the North. This podcast reflects my personal opinions, views, and interpretation of information, and was prepared in my personal capacity. That should be obvious from my children screaming at a hockey game downstairs. This podcast does not represent any institution, corporation, association, or society, just me. November is Diabetes Awareness Month, and so we will continue with this as our focus. Today, we will discuss diabetic neuropathy. This is something I've been looking forward to talking to you about, and the reason is because I'm so frustrated, and I'd like to know if you are too. Let me fill you in on how I became this way. Like most pharmacists, I knew that neuropathy is a common consequence of diabetes, and that it can result in neuropathic pain. What I didn't understand was the torment it causes its victims. I got educated on the real-life consequences of neuropathy when I met an unfamiliar patient at my pickup counter. It was very apparent that he was uncomfortable. He rushed to get his debit card, and I felt as though if I didn't hurry up, he might collapse right there. It was obviously a great effort for him to come into the pharmacy. He was sweating and short of breath, and that's likely why he seldom did and why I didn't recognize him. He fumbled with his wallet and became discouraged and frustrated, but more than anything, you could tell that he was embarrassed. So I asked if he could come and sit down with me in the private counseling room, and he accepted as if I threw him a lifesaver in a hurricane. I'll summarize what he shared in that room. He was diabetic, he had high blood pressure, and was obviously overweight, and I would say he was almost 70. He explained that the reason he struggled was due to the pain that he felt in his feet. This surprised me. I thought his biggest issue was the shortness of breath, until he elaborated on the foot pain he had. He told me that his feet hurt so badly that it truly felt as though they were being scalded on a hot stove. My idea of neuropathy was far from his analogy and I couldn't believe that he was suffering to this extent. I checked his record and found that he was being treated with pregabalin 75 milligrams twice a day. He said that he might as well just drink water, that it didn't touch the pain. He had already tried amitriptyline and gabapentin as well without any benefit. I suggested that he might increase the dose and offer to consult his prescriber. I know he didn't have much in terms of expectations, but he said, yeah, go ahead. So over the next few weeks, he continued to increase to the maximum daily dose, which is 600 milligrams a day, and he did get some relief. He said he could walk around his yard, and before, he never ventured from his veranda. He's still in pain, but has improved, and I continue to meet with him, each time hoping that I might have something new to share that would again give him some relief. I'm devastated this cannot be reversed, but encouraged to have found a tip to pass on, and I'll share that with you in just a few minutes. First, we have to review neuropathy in order to understand how we are going to dominate it. So let's start with risk factors. Diabetes is obviously one, and I'll explain the mechanism in more detail in a few minutes. Increased triglycerides, high BMI, smoking, and hypertension. And in type 1 diabetes, neuropathy is uncommon within the first five years, but not in type 2. Many already have nerve damage by the time they're diagnosed. And the reason is due to the accumulation of damage over time. With extended durations of hyperglycemia, more nerve damage occurs. And in type 2, this can mean years of flying under the radar. I've used this analogy before, so if you've heard me say it, it's going to sound familiar, but I think it's worth repeating. Consider the health of your teeth. If you brush them every day, they will typically be really healthy. 
but suppose once in a while you don't brush your teeth before bed. What would happen? Probably not the end of the world. Now, imagine that five out of seven days of the week, not only do you forgo the brushing, but you also eat a bag of gummy bears in bed. And this continues for months or years. What happens now? The sugar left on your teeth over time will cause damage. And they rot. The same applies with sugar in your blood. As it washes over your organs, through your capillaries and around the nerves, it damages the cells. And over time, the damage becomes apparent in the form of renal failure, neuropathy, retinopathy, and many more unfortunate complications. One of the possible sequelae that we neglect to warn our patients about are the genitourinary effects. Who would imagine that ignoring your A1C might result in erectile dysfunction? People don't know this. Of the people with diabetes that you know, how many would anticipate that if they want to have sex in the year 2030, it may require them having to inject prostaglandins into their... Uh -oh. All because they failed to control their blood sugar. This is painful, it's embarrassing, and it's not romantic, but very few men are warned. They don't really understand why having diabetes is bad, other than the fear of having to inject insulin someday, or getting a poor report from their doctor. Quality of life declines gradually. The repercussions of the disease slowly surface, and then people find themselves in an irreversible and terrible position. The symptoms that present coincide with a type of sensory fibers damaged. Small fibers are more vulnerable, and damage here will produce sharp shooting pain and burning. Deterioration of the large sensory fibers results in loss of feeling, numbness, and tingling. I think for the most part we know this. When I think of neuropathic pain, my mind goes to burning and loss of feeling in the feet. But guess what? There's a lot more to it. There are nerves all over our bodies and all of them are exposed to that same sweet gummy bear blood. Sensory nerve damage causes the symptoms we usually attribute to diabetic neuropathy, but autonomic nerves are also affected. Autonomic nerves control internal functions, the ones we shouldn't have to think about, like digestion and heart rate. Patients with cardiac autonomic neuropathy may report orthostatic hypotension or present with resting tachycardia. Neuropathy in the GI tract causes constipation, diarrhea, which is usually nocturnal, and incontinence. I already mentioned some of the implications of genitourinary tract, but besides erectile dysfunction, Neuropathy can also cause loss of bladder sensation and incontinence as well. We need to watch these patients with anticholinergics like amitriptyline because of the complications of chronic urinary retention. Some even require catheterization. For type 2 diabetics diagnosed in their 30s and 40s, these types of things can happen in their 50s and 60s. Imagine you're about to retire and now your body finally succumbs to the progression of the disease and the symptoms become life-altering. How do we help these people? What we can do tomorrow in our pharmacy to prevent someone from having to endure relentless pain or incontinence or celibacy, the biggest impact we can make is by getting them to understand that having their blood glucose in range will prevent neuropathy or worsening of the condition. It cannot be reversed, but, and this is what I couldn't wait to share with you, by lowering blood glucose levels, pain may also be reduced in established neuropathy. Finally, a ray of hope. Things can improve or at the very least not get worse if we buckle down. 
So, for our patients who suffer despite multiple attempts with pharmacotherapy, they may have more control over their pain than they realize. It's never too late to focus on blood glucose levels, and the benefits of doing so don't ever stop. Let's get into the drug options available to manage this pain. Keep in mind that the outcomes for patients are varied and many require combinations of agents to get relief. Here are options and the list is not long. Anticonvulsants, antidepressants, and opioids. Anticonvulsants typically prescribed are pregabalin, gabapentin, and valproate. The latter two are not currently approved by Health Canada for diabetic peripheral neuropathy, but widely used. Antidepressants include duloxetine, which is approved, and amitriptyline rather, and venlafaxine, which are not. Opiates are the last class to be added to established treatment for resistant pain and include tramadol, tepentadol ER, dextromethorphan, morphine SR, and oxycodone ER. Beyond these options, some patients use topicals like capsaicin cream or TENS machines. This is where my frustration peaks. These drugs do not eradicate the pain for most people, and some don't benefit at all. So then what? Well, as it turns out, there's ongoing research aimed to answer this very question. In fact, dinepazil is one drug that may have some potential. In mice, this agent is shown to have neuroprotective effects. The American Diabetes Association also put out a statement in 2005 that proposes paroxetine, citalopram, and topiramate could be potential options as well. This is important to keep in mind. For some patients who have been told they've tried it all, maybe they haven't. Successful treatment of neuropathy is unique to everyone. Some people respond very well to one agent and not at all to another. So it's important that patients know not to feel defeated if one or two or even the third agent doesn't work. Doses for neuropathy tend to be high and require titration. And if they're discontinued later, they also require tapering. Another source of frustration is the waiting. Getting to the right dose takes time, and the effects aren't instantaneous once you get there. It usually takes a few weeks. Again, important information for patients to understand, as they will likely assume that their pain would relent like a headache with some Advil. For gabapentin, the maximum dose is 3,600 milligrams per day, and most patients, a minimum of 1,800 milligrams is required to see any change at all. Pregabalin max dose is 300 BID, as in the case of the patient I mentioned before, he reported no benefit at 150 BID, but substantial improvement at 300 BID. Consider this when patients return to you with a new agent to try. Do they have a fair trial on the maximum dose of their current therapy? For some, adverse effects won't allow it, but for others it can make all the difference. With both gabapentin and pregabalin, renal impairment below 60 mils per minute will require dosage adjustments. For valproate or valproic acid, it's important to monitor liver function, as hepatic failure has occurred. Valproic acid can be titrated to 500 milligrams twice a day. When treating neuropathy with antidepressants, always consider and monitor the patient's mental health, as these agents have a black box warning of potentially causing suicidal thoughts. Amitriptyline, as I mentioned before, has anticholinergic properties and caution should be used in patients with urinary retention and constipation. Amitriptyline can also affect the QT interval, and many diabetic patients have concurrent cardiovascular disease. The dose is usually t up to 150 milligrams per day is tolerated. Duloxetine doses may increase to 120 milligrams per day, and for venlafaxine, up to 300 milligrams per day. Opioids are prescribed when necessary to alleviate pain, 
often to allow patients to sleep. They should be prescribed at the lowest effective dose and monitored for efficacy as continuation is problematic in the absence of benefit. For our day-to-day practice, we've covered most of what we would need to know. But because I think it's interesting, I'm going to share exactly how having high blood glucose causes neuropathy in the first place. As blood glucose levels rise, the amount of intracellular glucose increases proportionately, and the glycolytic pathway that uses glucose becomes saturated. The excess glucose gets converted to sorbitol and fructose by an enzyme called aldose reductase, and there's actually drugs that inhibit this enzyme. Epalrostat is the name of the only commercially available one, and as far as I know, it's only been used in Japan, but it has shown some benefit. Okay, so not only does excess glucose cause oxidative stress and decrease neuronal repair mechanisms, the sorbitol and fructose accumulate as well, and those cause structural breakdown of the neurons and subsequent abnormal action potentials. This makes sense considering that nerves are transmitting pain when there's no external physical reason to do so. The nerves are simply ruined and the signaling is unregulated. It makes me think of phantom limb pain. They aren't the same thing, but both exist because of nerve damage. Okay, it's time to check in. Let's go over what we've learned. Diabetic neuropathy is much more than numbness and tingling and can have implications throughout the body, including the heart, the GI tract, the entire genitourinary system, not just the kidneys, the eyes, etc. The damage is widespread. The cause is prolonged hyperglycemia that causes irreversible nerve damage, and treatment frequently requires high doses and combinations of agents. Even then, many continue to have substantial pain. Other than drug therapy, the other option to alleviate pain is to control blood glucose to achieve euglycemic levels. Even if the neuropathy is established, this can decrease pain significantly. Patients with diabetes should understand fully the influence they have in preventing the onset of neuropathy by controlling blood glucose. The onset can be delayed and the damage minimized. Other benefits are seen with reductions in blood pressure, regular exercise, limiting alcohol consumption, and quitting smoking. As pharmacists, we can watch for signs of progression, like impaired fine motor skills, toe scuffing, frequent tripping, and falls because knees are giving way. We can also help patients understand the relevance of their blood sugar in causing the symptoms that are troubling and support them in limiting their progression. We've got to help people understand that the focus isn't the number. The number just represents a trend. It's the trending hyperglycemia and the gummy bear blood that is disabling. Avoiding insulin isn't the goal. Avoiding incontinence, erectile dysfunction, and pain is the objective. Okay, this is turning into a bit of a rant, so I'm going to wrap it up. That's all for today, farmers. I think we've thoroughly tilled this soil. I hope you've learned as much as I have, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Enjoy the rest of November, and thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.